I literally left my family behind. I left my country. I had just enough money saved up for one month's rent. And I did what I needed to do to put myself first in my life. So the message essentially that I'm trying to convey in cases similar to mine is you've got to be selfish. You've got to start with you. And, and when it comes to it, you've got to make the decision that will allow you to take the best possible care of yourself first. And that sounds very obvious and simple, uh, but it's possibly the hardest thing we can ever do because it goes against how we're brought up. It goes against what we're culturally embedded to do. And, uh, and it's just genuinely hard. So you've got you to literally take a strong stance for your health and well-being and become really, really very present with the fact that if you don't do what you've got to do to take care of yourself, sooner or later somebody else will. So we say you've got to be selfish in order to be selfless. I somehow realized that early enough to be able to change the course of my life and and do what I needed to do not to become a, a newer version of, of my dad and, and not, to, not to fulfill that predicament. That's Serena Sabala, and I'm Brian Felcher. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast, where I bring amazing and inspiring people to you to help with whatever you might be facing in your life. Today's guest is, well, I keep saying Serena in the episode. She says it so much more beautifully. She says Serena. I think I'm saying that right. Um, Serena Sabala who is a wellness coach in London, along with her husband. They run a company called Whole Shift Wellness. And they are very focused on the complete picture of our life, not just our physical wellness, our mental wellness, our emotional wellness, our financial wellness, everything, and how it all fits together to create a complete picture. Because if you don't create the complete picture, then you have a point of weakness that may you know, take away from your wellness. And you know, she talks about the three pillars or the legs of a stool that, you know, if one of them is shaky or rickety or too short, the whole thing will crash down. Now, she understands firsthand the mental aspect of it very strongly because of her experience growing up and what that meant to her, how it defined her life, how it led to choices she's made. So she is the daughter of a man who has bipolar a form of mental illness that she talks about in more detail in the show. And it really framed much of her life as a, he got diagnosed when she was eight. So there's a lot of behaviors before that, but certainly after that and the way it kind of takes over the family. It's not just the person who is suffering from it, it's their whole world around them. And of course, it's something that can have its roots in you know, family history, genetics, and so she had an uncle who also um, struggled with mental illness. So, of course, that means that she has exposure to it herself as well. And so her 
mental well-being is not just to manage the stress from her father's condition, but also to protect herself from the potential of something rearing its head in her. And so it becomes even that much more crucial. We talk about all that. She ended up making a documentary, which I linked to in the show notes, which you absolutely must watch. It's not long. It's, I think, 10 or 11 minutes, something like that. But it's really powerful hearing from all of the family members about their experience with her father and his illness. Um, It's a really reflective, empowering story, how it brought the family together to be able to talk about it and what's come for them since they were able to share with each other openly, which is not something they've actually ever really done. Really amazing story around you know, recognizing what's going on, the truth behind it, how you protect yourself, how you build the strength to have that whole picture of wellness. I'm excited to bring this to you. It's a, a beautiful story. Um, you know, again, definitely watch the documentary. And let's dig in with Serena Sabala. Serena Sabala, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this um, this is really important for me. And having watched your documentary, which I know we'll get into, and your story, it touched me so profoundly. And I'm sure you're hearing those exact or very similar words over and over again. Um, so I can't wait to get into your story. And this is one so many people face directly or around people who are facing it. And I feel like this is a point where there's a shift in the stigma around it and not being able to talk about it and how we feel towards others who are in the midst of it. So super important um, work that you're doing. And I'm, I'm just thankful to be a part of that. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate your words. I, and I, I really genuinely, I never take for granted anybody that really captures the spirit of what it is that I try to convey. So um, thanks for that. I have so much I want to say about the documentary, but I know we'll get there. But just a really high level kind of who are you today? And then I want to work through the the story that led to this documentary we're, we're referencing and the work that you're trying to do. So uh, like like you said, um, my name is Serena Sabala. I run a, a wellness coaching company in London. Um, myself and my husband run Whole Shift Wellness. We specialize in bespoke programs for busy and time press professionals. And we've been able to compile over 20 years of combined experience in the industry to create a proven methodology that will shift you into your most fit, healthy and confident self within one year. Together with him, we've had the pleasure of doing what we do for over 20 years combined across five countries, transforming the world of over 500 professionals. And and we combine a, a variety of modalities to create what we believe is the ultimate bespoke holistic wellness offering. Because we really believe that in order to achieve profound transformation rather than just temporary change, you need to look at the individual from a holistic perspective and have this very 360 approach to health and wellness and 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 work at the root level of the imbalances in order mm. to to restore the natural balance that the the mind and body want to acquire. Yeah, I love how you just put that cuz I think that's something a lot of people struggling with that exact situation that the kind of stress of getting caught up in everything they feel like we have to force a shift and it's actually not about that. It's like the body knows it's fulcrum. It knows the balancing point. We just have to allow it to get back there. Most of the time we have to get out of its way. Yes. And we 
to remove the obstacles that are actually in the way of it doing what it needs to do to restore the balance. Yeah. And and we really convey we're really present with that. I we, well, first because we have firsthand experience. We we never preach what we don't practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we've seen it happen time and time again. Most of the time, it's not so much about adding stuff in as in, as it is removing obstacles, blockages, self-sabotaging thoughts and yeah. bad habits so that things can kind of fall into place. And because we believe that when we're born, we're like, we're like the seed of a beautiful tree. You know, we already hold within all the potential to become this beautiful, perfect creature. Uh, so anything, everything that we need is already to some extent within us. Our full potential is already within us. We're not lacking that. We don't need to get that from the outside. But like the seed, we need the right environment. You know, we need the right nourishment. We need water. We need sunlight. We need protection, especially at the beginning. So whenever we say we we make the shift or we facilitate the shift with our shifters, as we call them, our clients, we're really kind of taking this little seed and giving it what it needs and protecting it and creating this kind of sheltered environment for a period until it grows and it can then kind of continue doing its thing on its own. That's really beautiful. <laughs> um, it's funny. It sometimes is making the space and, and allowing the body to do what it needs to do is, is actually really hard. So um, hard. <laughs> yeah. For, for anyone who's, um, who's ever had experience in like endurance sport with the training, like for a marathon, if you've watched the complaints about the training process, it's always around rest day or the recovery yeah. run. It's like you, something in your mind is telling you this isn't right. You're not working hard enough. This isn't okay. And actually that's the most important part of the week oh, is when you recover and grow. If you allow it to be, mm. you know, it's, it's the mental training is the hardest part of the whole thing. Absolutely. Well, the mental aspect of anything is always the hardest part. It's also always the most important part. Yeah. And actually, real wellness coaching and, you know, I'm a certified nutrition consultant, fitness trainer, yoga teacher. But the most important work that we facilitate for our shifters is actually on a mind level before yes. anything else, you know. Because yeah. you don't shift your mindset. It, I, can, I can give you the most perfect bespoke meal plan and fitness regime and everything else and you'll find a way to mess it up <laughs> yeah 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 and and of course it's the mindset shift that lasts you know if you go to the gym and you build all this muscle take two weeks off and it's gone but if you train your mind you have that for life there's no atrophy of that and this is what the difference between change and transformation, you know, which that's why we don't talk about change. We don't even talk about weight loss, to be honest, in our work with our shifters. The weight loss happens as a byproduct of the transformation. Yeah. Uh, and, and then it becomes organic and then it be, because you become a new person. You know, it's like the it's like the, the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly. You know, there's no reverting back. You've transformed the very essence of who you are. So. Yeah it's your, it's a it's your new nature um and that's that's genuinely the only way we operate and the only way that we 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 measure uh, the success of our shifters is when they literally come to me and they tell me i don't even have to try anymore <laughs> yeah oh that's brilliant um so we have to get into why you do this work so take yeah. me back and and the backstory that led to to this to the documentary to what you're trying to or what you are achieving really in the world today. Thank you. 
trying our best. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The why, the documentary captures the why. And in fact, it was born from me becoming present with my why. Mm. We, now that I look at it, it's obvious. But I'm telling you, I spent very much of my adult life not putting two and two together. That, that's why I was so motivated in the space of health and wellness. And I really uh, have never questioned it as the single most fundamental pillar of my life. And the reason why disease is because when I was very little, I was only eight years old. And my dad, who was a highly successful entrepreneur, a very accomplished individual who literally created a profession that didn't even exist before his time. You know, yeah. it, built, it built a whole entire profession from scratch and a whole business from scratch. And he was very gifted. But I now know that he simply didn't have the tools to take care of his health and well-being uh, whilst juggling all the pressures of running your own business, a young family, loads of responsibilities, you know, employees, this business that went from zero to millions of euros in a short period of time. And and he continuously neglected himself until he got so sick that in a very short period of time, he lost everything he'd worked so hard for uh, with incredibly traumatizing repercussions on all of us as his immediate family, but also the extended family. And frankly, all the communities around him, you know, the, 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 it was a very far reaching uh, spiral that affected hundreds, if not even thousands of people. And, and so that kind of planted the seed of health and wellness in my consciousness. I became very, because I essentially became very present to what it's like to lose it. Mm. It wasn't first hand, it was second hand, but it was still very traumatizing. And from then on, I have continued to explore way, the, all the ways that we, we can take the best possible care of ourselves. And, uh, and, as, and I was doing it as a passion and a hobby for many years. And then eventually I shifted into making a career out of it by firstly becoming a certified yoga teacher and then starting our company with my husband. And at some point through all this work, I realized that, that my passion stemmed from these early childhood experiences. Yeah. And, and this is what makes me particularly passionate in working with busy professionals, with business owners, with, with leaders in their communities is because I know what the risk is of a leader, um, losing their health and well-being and crumbling under the pressure and, you know, how many people would end up suffering as a result of that? Um, so I'm really, um, I'm really driven <laughs> to prevent that from happening ever again to anyone. Yeah. I mean, personally, so it, it started around when you were eight. How long was his spiral period? Uh, well, my dad is still unwell. He's never fully recovered. Yeah. If I'm I mean, he's a bit more stable now. He's, I mean, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which is a form of mental illness. It's like a bit of a trickier version of of, of depression. Uh, and he has he progressively got worse over the over a span of a solid twenty years. Mm. Um, and even now he has his moments. So he's never, he's never fully recovered. He's never, he's never gotten back to, to full, complete, restored health. Um, and just in the last couple of years, he's managed to find a little bit of a, of, of, of more of a balance, if you would like, but it's still a work in progress and he still remains to this day, the most 
traumatizing experience of my entire life, yeah. you know? So two things. I, I want you to talk a little bit about what bipolar is for people who don't who don't know. Maybe there's the Wikipedia definition, but your definition is is more firsthand. So, you know, how it presents and how it affects those around you and you yourself. Um, but then also I'm curious, the 20 years that you're talking about, is that, did it really start in the diagnosis and all that around when you were eight? Had he already been diagnosed? And so, you know, or did the, did the diagnosis come later and start to sort of explain the past? How does that all fit together? Sure. I'll start with that, actually, just for chronological purposes. The official diagnosis happened when I was eight. So when I, was, when I was eight years old, a doctor diagnosed him with bipolar disorder. Uh, symptoms had started to show um, uh, earlier than that. Mm. Uh, and this is an ongoing conversation that I have with members of my family. Was, one of my uncles seems to believe that he was showing signs and symptoms from as far as he can remember. Yeah. Right? So um, it, they just never manifested themselves so extremely as they did when I when I was eight and this is probably for a number of reasons so and you know we go back to the whole nature nurture again uh, my own personal opinion is is that he had probably had a natural predisposition because uh, you know it kind of somewhat runs in the family as well because he had an uncle that suffered from mental illness as well and then the the specific um, happenings of his lives kind of added onto that natural predisposition to make so that the illness manifested itself. But the signs were, if we look back, there were signs from his early childhood that, that you know, he was a very sensitive, sensitive child. So the official um, the official diagnosis happened when I was eight. This doesn't mean that things started to get handled uh, the way they should right away. Because, mm. you know, we're talking Sicily in the early 1990, in the early, in 19, say, it was probably 1994, uh, let's say. So my family had no clue what this was until the diagnosis was served to them, nor did they have any clue how best to handle it. And in all honesty, it's such a tricky illness to handle that even these days it's 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 hard to navigate but especially back then yeah and um, and so yeah he, he, he sometimes he would take his medication sometimes he would be off his medication it definitely wasn't handled properly mostly also due to a lack of self-awareness and acceptance from his part um, the nature of the illness is such that essentially it's it's a form of depression whereby instead of only getting the bouts of depression, you get this alternation of periods of severe depressions with periods of extreme mania. Mm -hmm. So your mood swings from the lowest of the low where you I, I have recollections of my dad spending six months in bed without being able to literally get up. Yeah with moments of mania where you are so out of control, you might just become dangerous to yourself and those around you. You become violent and excessive. You spend incredible amount of money. It's You're literally possessed and out of control on yeah. all levels. Um, and so you swing. You swing from this very, ex, very 
profound extremes in mood and temperament. And every time for my dad, every time it kept getting worse. And the, the two extremes kept getting more extreme. Because mm. um, the tendency as well is for them to seek medication when they're feeling low and depressed because they don't enjoy that. Mm. But then drop it when they the mood starts getting lifted because it actually feels quite good it feels i i imagine it must feel like being on some drug that makes you super upper and and that kind of creates this kind of vicious cycle essentially yes euphoric from what i hear it's very euphoric and it's very it's very easy for them to lose control because there's a point there's almost like a tipping point whereby and it happens very quickly, by the way. Now I can tell I can tell when my dad is tipping over the dangerous side of mania by the way he walks into a room or by the way he speaks, or by the way he's he, literally I can I can sense it and just before you know it the day it takes two days and things have gotten crazy. Yeah. Um and so it's a very it's a very tricky one. Very tricky for them experiencing it and very tricky for anybody around them handling it, including the professionals, by the way. They yeah. have it's it's just a hard one. Yeah, because they're not they're not necessarily willing and com, um complicit in their treatment, depending when you catch them. And there's a, from desperation to refusal. Yeah. I mean, when you're when you're desperate and you're depressed, of course you want something that lifts you up. But when you start feeling better and better and better, and to them, it's like feeling good. And it's almost like being addicted to this drug, but you actually don't even have to inject the drug. Instead, you have to inject a drug to prevent you from feeling the positive effects. So it's just so counterintuitive and, and, and difficult. Yeah, And trying to find center between two wild extremes is much harder to balance than you know, someone's a, a little happy or a little sad today, you know, maybe a piece of chocolate changes the game, maybe a nice conversation, a walk with a friend, something like that. But you're talking about, you know, I I had a, a close friend growing up whose mother, divorce hit, mother went to bed for six months. Mm. Um, she was like 11 or 12, two mm. little brothers. And basically, you know, preteen, she's having to care for her little brothers every day while her mother just would not leave the room, wouldn't leave the bed and the father was gone. Um, and then her mother was up, you know, and it's such, such extremes. So traumatizing. Very, very, I have so much respect for her. She should, well, I hope she gets a hand on the documentary actually. Yeah. That's, I should share it with her. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Because I can imagine, and I, I totally, I can totally sympathize with her. That must've been, that must've been horrible. And yes, you're absolutely right. It's it, because also one has to remember that because they experience these high highs, um, a, a, a very balanced state of mind all of a sudden to them is perceived quite boring, you know? Yeah. So kind of it messes. It's like you, if you become used to eating with a lot of salt, uh, you know, natural unsalted food is going to taste bland to you because yes. you take that have because have become used and accustomed to such a strong sensation. It's yeah. like, you become desensitized to what it's like to actually feel even-minded. Yeah. I guess the difference there is you can reacclimate to a low-salt diet over time. Mm. This is different because your body chemistry is telling you something different every day, and so you're stifling that 
Yes, absolutely. And also, we we have to remember that we still to this day don't really fully know exactly how the brain works. Mm. It's such a complicated and intricate organ. It is it's fascinating and beautiful in so many ways, but it's also so delicate and so complicated. And even the greatest scientists in the world will tell you that it's still in many ways a mystery. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know how medications, what the long-term effect of medications are. It's hard to know exactly what these people are feeling and experiencing it. And it, it's just a very, that's why, that is why, one of the reasons why I am such a big advocate for prevention, such a massive advocate for prevention, especially in the space of health and wellness, especially in the space of mental health. Because I can tell you right now, it is so much easier and more effective to do what you need to do to prevent getting to that point uh, of losing the, the balance, the equilibrium and the health than it is to ever restore it. Uh, simply because we, we actually have better tools to prevent than we do to restore health. Yeah. Particularly the health of the brain. Serena, this is something I, I want to I want to press into deeper. I I think a lot of people listening who are thinking about burnout and stress and overwhelm, but not seeing themselves as having you know bipolar type extremes or another form of of mental illness, they might say, "Well, I get that. You know, I there are things I can do to protect myself from getting pushed over the edge." But what if how do, how does the word prevention come into play with something that? You know, maybe you have a family history of that has presented itself. Um, and I know there are triggers for it that can bring it about. And that's why you see people aren't necessarily from birth behaving that way. And then something happens later in life. And then so talk to me about prevention in the, the context, not just of sort of the general burnout that many of us face, but these more extreme cases where there's genuine mental health issues afoot. So let me start by telling you that I was one of those people who, well, I am one of those people who has it in their genes. Yeah. You know? We're and talking I, about your family. So when we talk I, about family history, yeah. It's my father. So it's my, and, he, and, and he's uncle before then. So I have a, a proven track record of mental health in the family. And I will also add to that, that I was heading down that route myself. Mm. And I, I, my teenage years were terrible and I, I had, I regularly had suicidal thoughts. I suffered from an eating disorder. I, I literally hit, thankfully what was to be my rock bottom, uh, it wasn't that bad, but I genuinely had a terrible couple of years throughout my adolescent years. And I was, I was literally fulfilling that that predicament of of becoming the newer version of my father and, mm. and manifesting some form of mental illness myself because I had that inclination and because my environment made it very easy for it to manifest yeah and so what I had to do and I am grateful for whatever the 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 you know, the force was that pulled me in a different direction. I had the courage to physically remove myself from the environment. And I left, I left home when I was 20 years old. Um, to, and I moved to London. I literally left my family behind. I left my country. I had 
just enough money saved up for one month's rent and I moved to London and I, and I, I did what I needed to do to put myself first in my life. Hmm. So the message essentially that I'm trying to convey in cases similar to mine is that the single most important, and this by the way is conveyed in, in our company values, you've got to be selfish. Um, you've got to start with you. And, and when it comes to it, you've got to make the decision that will allow you to take the best possible care of yourself first. And that sounds very obvious and simple, uh, but it's possibly the hardest thing we can ever do because it goes against how we're brought up. It goes against what we're culturally embedded to do. And, uh, and it's just genuinely hard. So you've got you to literally take a strong stance for your health and well-being and become really, really very present with the fact that if you don't do what you got to do to take care of yourself, sooner or later, somebody else will. Mm. So we say you got to be selfish in order to be selfless. Mm. And I, I somehow realized that early enough to be able to change the course of my life and, and do what I needed to do not to become a newer version of, of my dad and, and not to, not to fulfill that predicament. Um, and so I really invite anybody who is struggling to some extent in this space or in similar ways. And this is hard. And I see it, I see it in my work where clients are line managers or business owners. They have teams to take care of. They have young families, small children. So it's so counterintuitive to put yourself first. Yeah. And so we do a bunch of exercise and we spend months and months helping them reshift their priorities. And some of them are actually quite confronting exercises. You know, think about what it would happen if you had to take a year off and not be able to fulfill any of your responsibilities because you've pushed things too far. Mm. Right? Literally spend time becoming present with what the repercussions would be of you losing your health and well-being. And, and if you do enough work in that space, then the shift will happen yeah. and, and you'll be able to take the right actions more and more. I, I completely agree and recognize how hard it is. And I'm thinking about you making that decision to go, your mother, you have siblings. If I think about it now, I still get emotional and yeah. it literally gives me goosebumps. It was it still is to this day is the hardest decision I've ever taken in my life. Bear in mind, I was the eldest daughter. So I, I, through all those years, I was always the one taking care of my little sister. And I was this pillar of strength for my mom, who almost like more of a friend than a daughter to her. So it was, if it was so hard to make that decision, but I, Thankfully, I realized that it was either that or I would soon become somebody else they would have to take care of. Oh. How did they respond? Oh, they were they were heartbroken yet very supportive. They yeah, realized. Understood. Yes, for sure. Although my sister um, had a couple of years where she, she felt abandoned, literally. Yeah, um, yeah resentment. Yeah, she had some resentment, and so she would not show up when I would come down visit. She would not make herself available. You know, she would 
she gave strong signals of the fact that she wasn't happy with the with the yeah. with the, with my decision. But I, she was very young, you know, she was three years younger than me. And, and she, I'd always kind of, I, I, I had been this kind of mother figure to her. So I could understand and I knew that she would turn around and, yeah. and, and eventually see that it was the better things for all involved. How, given, given that context, which is incredibly hard, how long did it take you to have the resolution to move? Like, it, was this something you were like, I have to go, but you couldn't for a year or something like how long did it take to work through the pull was, and the push? You know, it was virtually instantaneous. I mean, there were some logistics that took a few months, but the decision was made in a moment and it was literally one phone. It took one phone call from a friend of mine who was already living in London. She had recently moved and, um, she was literally just looking for company for a few months cause she was feeling a bit lonely. She yeah. just moved. She hadn't found her feet yet. So she was like, oh, why don't you come and spend some months here? Because there's this London College of Fashion. And I was working in fashion for my uncle already at the mo at the time. And so she made this one phone call to me, which was quite an innocuous phone call. And immediately I saw that that was the opportunity that could change my life. Yeah. And I grabbed hold onto it and I left. And as soon as I arrived in London with the intention of being only a few months, I realized, okay, so this is it. Yeah. This is what to do. So part of you was looking already and then the opportunity arose sure. and it, it came together. Um, I'm curious what happened when you got to London, the feelings, but then also how did it shift from being just a few months and probably feeling like I just need to clear my head and then I have to get back to my mother mm -hmm. and my sister Yes. So I came back from these two months in London knowing that I was going to move back permanently. Mm. Uh, the decision kind of was made. And so I came back essentially just to organize what I needed to let them know and come back up again. And mm. that was probably just another few months, not more than that. Um, and it, it was hard. Um Moving to London, bear in mind, I didn't speak English. So I was moving to a country where I had to learn the language from scratch. Um, I was lucky enough to find a job right away. Obviously, I was, I was paid minimum wage. I didn't have any financial backing from my family. It was broke because my dad had completely destroyed us financially. So I just saved up enough to pay for one month yeah. in London. Uh, so that I, I knew that I could find my feet for one month. But then, you know, I was living in a shared household. I literally started from the, from scratch in London, not even speaking the language, uh, you know, in a city that is known for being a hard nut to crack. Uh, yeah. Yet I felt so free. And it was literally like it was literally like I could breathe fresh oxygen for the first time in my life. Yeah. I was able for the first time in my life to see myself and my life as separate from my father's life and his problems. And because and, up until that point, I thought his problems were my problems. Yeah. I thought life was my life. And I thought I was never going to be able to live a normal life in any way, shape or form. Whereas moving to London literally opened up the world to me and my own life to myself. That's such an interesting point. You're when you're in the throes of what you were in, your sense of self is tied to the trauma well, and the, the needs of the other. 
And so it's selfish versus selfless. I hear that, but this is like, you don't even know who to be selfish to when you're in that kind of situation. And that's why I highly recommend for people who are dealing with secondhand repercussions from mental health problems and issues to take regular physical breaks away from that environment. Yeah. Literally remove themselves physically to literally change that perception and to really acquire a sense of self and and see the boundaries because everything gets so blurred and 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 so messed up that you have to physically remove yourself even if you just do it if you can't for whatever reason if you don't perceive as being able to do it permanently but you must do it regularly yeah i totally agree um i want to be conscious of time and there's so much more to talk about but we have to talk about the documentary because we we haven't touched on that how did you get to the point of making it and and then tell us about it specifically so um I obviously I I turned things around for myself and I ended up doing things that I once would have not even dared dreaming about and and my life uh, is such a blessing and I have no regrets whatsoever and I really genuinely thought that I had overcome or and I you know I've spent all my life working on myself and I continue mm-hmm. to and I'll never stop doing it um but I thought I was quite complete with that whole aspect of my life um but I also sensed that it was my dad's illness was had slowly over the years become a reason for my family to come apart instead of come closer together you know we have this massive thing that we all have in common and these big problems that we've all had to overcome and instead of it being a source of union and strength across across the family members it had become a reason for separation and division and conflict so i when i realized this i decided for whatever reason that i wanted to do something about it so the documentary really started as a project for my family mm. uh, the the original intention when i when the idea first popped into my mind was to, to create to create it as a healing and cathartic tool for our family members, for us to be able to talk about it and reflect on it and hear each other out without judgment and without being in problem-solving mode, because that was always generally the way we would talk about it, was yeah. in the midst of a crisis. Right. So we need to find a solution to this problem. We never actually spent any time asking each other, so how has this affected you? Yeah. Like what, what? What do you? How do you feel about it? Uh, what has it done to you in your life? Like, what would you like to talk about? We'd never actually asked it, asked each other those questions, and that's why I think we, the separation was starting to kind of creep in. And I had this idea, and I ran it by a dear friend who ended up co-producing and co-directing it with me, and he had just broken up with a girlfriend who was diagnosed bipolar. So obviously the subject really spoke to him, and he was like, okay, let's do it. Let's do this documentary. And everybody I would would mention it to would tell me, oh, wow, that's great. So you're going to go around your whole family and ask them to sit down and kind of open up about one of probably the most traumatizing things and I said, yeah, that's, that, that's the plan. <laughs> and, 
And I thought probably on some unconscious level that most of them were going to say no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just do a couple of interviews. And actually, not only did most of them say yes, many of them were very hard to shut up once they got going. Yeah. In, in this place it's been of, waiting to come out. Really, everybody was waiting for it. And once I did all the work, I realized it would have been so selfish of me to just to just keep it for wow. us on benefit only when there's probably millions of families and individuals out there who to some extent could benefit from just hearing our story and, and seeing that there are certain patterns that are pretty standard in these situations, that they're not alone, that there's nothing wrong with them, they're not broken, and that and that things can and will get better. Yeah. Your uncle really stood out to me in it. Um, he was very honest, yes. which I appreciated. And it's like, you know, a lot of times it's like, look, this is really tough and we have a lot of love. And he called it out. I mean, he, you know, didn't say all the nicest things about your dad, how difficult it was. And it, it just sort of sets the stage for this is going to be very real. And then you have him sort of at the end during the, the closing, you know, he sort of calls out. He's like, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. And. It just, it came together as like, these are people who are very invested in this. And to your point, you feel how there really has not been a chance to actually stop and process and think and feel because you're always sort of in that, like, we have to keep things afloat. And I think a lot of people who are in the situation your family was, has been in end up in those spots. And, and even as much as you say, take the time away, it's also important to take the time as a group to reflect together and feel together. Um, and I feel like you demonstrated the beauty and the value in that through the documentary. It's, it's that day when I had my entire family in, in, in my grandma's house. And, you know, I'd seen them hundreds of times, thousands of times. We'd been in that space a million times. But it was such a different day. Uh -huh. It was so, and I was actually very nervous to begin with. Like it brought up all these different emotions and it was such a powerful experience yeah. for us all to go through. And for me, well, I, I learned so much about them and I continue to do now as a result of that work that I had no idea. And, and I realized that, there was so much more, there is so much more to them and to their experience and to their story than, than I ever realized. And so it was magical for me to get to know them better. Yeah. And that uncle in particular is an uncle with, that I have had many a, a moment of misunderstanding with and that I, throughout my entire probably teenage years, we couldn't communicate very well. And I wouldn't quite get what he was about and what he was trying to convey to me. And he probably wasn't also communicating in a way that I could understand. But um, now I feel like I know him better than I've ever known him. And and I love him in a new way because yeah. of getting him better. And, yeah. and, and we have so much in common. I can't believe it. <laughs> I I've, How long's the thing? Like 10, 12 minutes or whatever. Like I, I saw that. I saw a connection, but you, you guys seem very similar and, and hearing him talk about what it was like to grow up with your dad in early adulthood. Um, I could see why your experiences are different, but have a, you know, that, that same thread mm. and why you would then, you know, be really connected and have difficulty 
you're almost yeah. too too similar sometimes. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's, I'm curious if he's the one in fashion. No, he's not. No, all right. I was like, he looked quite stylish. They're but... <laughs> all stylish. One thing they all have in common, which I get from them, is is they all look very good, including my father. Yeah. They're always all very well put together. You know, they're they're Italian too. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> well, so your father isn't in it. My father is was what? in fashion. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. I'm sorry. The documentary. Oh, um, in the documentary, yeah. uh, you can see him. Um, you can see uh, glimpses of his face. But he's, okay. he, he's, so he was he's there interview. that day in your grandmother's house. Oh, yeah, yeah. We interviewed yeah. him. too. The original idea was to include his interview in the documentary as well. So we, he was interviewed and he answered the question and yeah. we had the conversation and, and all that. And then but then we decided to only capture the experience from the perception, from the perspective of the family members, uh, just because it was hard to narrow it down to 10 minutes yeah. and, and do a good work with both. Yeah. And they're so two different things. Two very different yeah. things. So yeah. we'll do, uh, we'll do something with him only. I'm already thinking about yeah. what it would look like. I have an idea that I'm digesting and that I will start working on sooner than later. Because he almost he almost needs his own space. Yes, his, his story needs its own space. Yeah. So well, so that's interesting too, because that was in the back of my mind. Is like, where's your dad in this? Is he going to show up? I didn't know if he was still alive. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like he was probably okay with it since he was there, but he's watching mm. people say these things and relive their experiences. And if your family hadn't really stopped to do that before, is this the first time he's really facing the full 360 degree, this is what living around me has been? Yes, you are completely right. And I think part of me, although I was not expressing it verbally, uh, nor was I really kind of using it as a driving force but part of me was hoping that that would be the case mm. i was hoping that it would also become a tool that would allow him to step out of himself and see his life from a different perspective because he and i think this is part of the nature of mental illness you become so caught up in yourself mm. in your own mind in your own in the tribulations of your own mind mm. um that you literally fail to see what's going on around you clearly. Uh, and we all have that problem to some extent, to be honest. But I think when you're, when you have mental health problems, that becomes even more so because you're literally in your mind all the time. And, and that was sometimes makes things worse, you know? Um, so, and, and it was, it was, it's been, it's been quite powerful to see my dad digest this project. And he wasn't always all just happy about it. Of course, he was sure. challenging yeah. him to see and to witness. And, and that we've had a couple of exchanges where he expressed a couple of things to me. But all in all, I think, especially now in the long run, he had a profound healing effect on him as well to be able to see his life from other people's perspective and, mm. and himself from other people's perspective. Do you see a difference today for everyone in the family? Oh, massive, massive. And I'm not just saying this, I'm not taking any credit for it. The yeah. credit in them. They spoke. It's them. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, 
sat down, they spoke and they were willing to make themselves vulnerable. Uh, but, you know, and we talk about it openly and it's been so rewarding to hear them say, it. you know, it's really changed the way we communicate and it's really changed the dynamics and it really, it really has profoundly. Yeah. How long ago did you record it? That's a great question. I want to say that we finished recording at the end of 2018. Okay. And then we did all the post-production throughout 2019. Uh, given that it was all self-produced, it took way longer yeah. than, than it would normally. Uh, but it's been a while since your family had that conversation. So you've yeah. gotten to see how it really might play out. Yes, for sure. Because um, sometimes it's, you know, you have some great discussion. There's this groundswell of, oh, everything's different now. We understand each other. And then gradually people fall back into their old patterns of being. Um, you know, for, for folks I've struggled with in similar regards, that's been the case. Is like you have a really tough time. Everybody sits down, has this very beautiful, cathartic, open conversation. And it's almost like a week later, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. Mm. Um, but you've had over a year now. And so you can see the real, the way that it truly has played out. Yes, for sure. No, what? Yes, undoubtedly so. It's uh, it's been a shift. It wasn't just a temporary. Yeah. Moment. It's been a shift, also because you know uh, these are things that we've been dealing with for thirty years, and we are continuing to have to deal with because my dad is still somewhat unwell. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, but I think we all were ready for it and in need of it. And that's what's made it so effective. Is there something that you think makes it something people can do that makes those kinds of conversations more of what you've experienced than the sort of, you know, it fizzles out? Like, what do you think uh, gave it the sta staying power? Um, number one was uh, the, la the complete lack of alternative motives and judgment. Yeah. It was a it was a genuine wanting to create a space for them to share openly about their perspective and their experiences with without wanting anything other than that from them and without judging anybody's opinion or views. You know, there was no the agenda other than that of sharing. Mm openly honestly and authentically um so my 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 suggestion would be not to make anybody wrong because there is no right or wrong in these circumstances even my dad is not wrong he's yeah. ill you know so you just have to literally make a huge conscious effort to hear people out hear where they are take it for what it is and accept it and embrace it and, and give nothing but unconditional love and support. Mm. Um, and then also most importantly is to be authentic. Uh, start with yourself. Don't expect authenticity. Give authenticity and you'll receive authenticity in return. Set the stage by being the change that you want to see. Um, so put yourself at issue first. I think that's what made um, it happen was that when I, my conversation with them, when I even asked them to be in the documentary, it was very open, very authentic, very sincere. And I shared vulnerably and I said sorry when I needed to say sorry. And 
and they and they saw that and that's what allowed them to do the same it created that space that opportunity yeah i i think that's really beautiful i can imagine what it would have been like in the room that day Um, (laughs) no that's great um serena i want to i want to come back to your work with whole shift wellness and some of the the advice you know there's a few things you've said that i think people can take into their own practice what are some of the other general maybe starting places people should look to as they start to think about, you know, am I in a place of balance and what can I do to start to claw that back? That's a great question. And um, so I talk about this in my book. I've just recently published a book about it and I really delve deep into what I believe are the essential fundamental pillars for self-care. Uh, I invite everybody to look at their health and well-being like a tripod. So it's like a structure with three legs, right? And what happens to a tripod when even just one of the legs is a little bit weaker than the other? It doesn't matter how well-developed one or two of the legs are. For as long as one is weaker than the others, um, you will feel a sense of imbalance and you will be out of balance. And that's why, you know, the world whole is one that permeates throughout everything that we do is because we really want to emphasize people to approach health and well-being from a holistic perspective. And in particular, and I talk about these three pillars, what they are and how you need to create a strategy that allows you to strengthen and develop all three pillars simultaneously and progressively and consistently in order to achieve holistic wellness. And, if, and when you do this kind of work and you do it right, actually, you achieve greater results by doing less work. Um, you're putting out less and achieving more. The tendency with human beings is to continue to do the things that they already perceive to be somewhat good at. Yeah. So if they like the gym, they think, oh, I don't feel so good. Let me go to the gym a little more. Or if they like to juice, they're like, oh, I don't feel so great. Or let me juice a little bit more. Whereas sometimes the breakthroughs happen in the areas that are generally fully neglected and and the areas that we resist the more the most are the ones that we want to do start doing a little bit of work just a little bit small incremental improvements what are the three pillars the three pillars of well-being are focus food and fitness we've come to identify them and they're now constitute the fundamental of, of our methodology. And, and, and by focus, we don't just mean the ability to concentrate. Focus is anything to do with your mind. So it's your mindset, your, your motivations, it's your habits, your behaviors. So it's kind of all the work that you've got to do on the focus pillar is probably is by and far the most important one. And it's also generally the most neglected one. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then food, food is fundamental. You can't outrun a bad diet and, and what you fuel your body with has repercussions that are greater than you can even imagine. And then there's fitness, which doesn't have to do with going to the gym. <laughs> I, I want to clarify this because not everybody enjoys the gym. And, and, and so they resist any form of physical activity because they think that it all has to involve uh, the formal ways, whereas yeah. it's just about acknowledging and being aware of the fact that your body is designed to move and you've got to move it and you've got to find a way that you enjoy doing so. Right. That's great. The three F's, three pillars. Right. 
Um, oh, you didn't say the name of your book. What is your yeah, book? Yeah, my book is called Make the Shift. It's uh, now available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback. And it's literally a dive deep into our proven method to, for busy professional to transform their health, well-being, and confidence. Is it just you or do you co-author it with your husband? No, I wrote, I wrote well, it, he has helped me in, on the fitness pillar in particular. I, I, the methodology that we use in the fitness pillar is the methodology that he has developed in his 20 years of fitness yeah. training. Uh, but I, he's writing his own book. This is uh, Okay, this is you. I'm just saying, if people search search on Amazon, obviously I'll I'll link to it, but they'll find it under your name too. Fantastic, um, Serena, thank you so much. You shared really vulnerably and honestly, um, and really powerfully. Um, I, I'm very much moved by this, so thank you so much for for how you've shared today and what you've shared today. Where can people find out more and follow you and all that kind of fun social media type stuff? Sure. Um, our website is a great place. We, we share a lot. We have a lot of free resources on there as well. So if anybody wants to kind of take a, a, an action on, on kind of sparking the shift for themselves, we have this very cool scorecard questionnaire. It's wholeshiftwellness.com. And if there is one thing that you do on our website, I would highly recommend is to take the score test, which is a five minute roughly score test. Doesn't take longer than that. And it will allow you to measure your current level of development across the three pillars. And then you'd get a comprehensive bespoke report with tips, things that you can start doing to, to you know, to spark these improvements. And then um, Facebook and Instagram, whole shift wellness that's my handle on both platforms. And I'm also quite active on LinkedIn because we do quite a bit of corporate wellness work. Um, so yeah, loads of tips on the three pillars. Excellent. Media. <laughs> I will link to all of that. I really, really appreciate you coming on today and sharing so much. And of course, I'll link, link to the documentary as well. Yeah. Um, thank you. Are you ready to help me close things out? Yes, Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> right. Today is a new day. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Serena. What an amazing person and a really pure, honest discussion of her experience, how she went through it, the highs and the lows, and how bringing the family together to talk about something beyond just reacting to a situation in front of them, but actually what their whole life experience has been around this theme, how that unlocked healing, cohesion, wellness, that they wouldn't be able to get to otherwise. I think that's really, really beautiful. A lot of respect for Serena for putting all this together and being so open with her story and a lot of respect for the members of her family for participating in it the way that they did. Absolutely inspiring. Um, and they were able to unlock something for themselves in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, so very thankful for that. Do check out wholeshiftwellness.com to uh, take that scorecard that Serena mentioned. I'll link to that. I'll link to her book, Make the Shift, um, and the documentary, which, again, if you haven't watched it, it's not long, and it's worth every second and then some. Uh, and then maybe take a moment to reflect what's going on in your family, in your world. Are you guys talking about it? Are you coming together? Are you sharing the impact and not just the response? That's where the healing lies. That's where the understanding lies, the empathy, the vulnerability, the growth. 
And, you know, I take what she's done as an inspiration, as a model that perhaps we can all follow. And like she said, she wasn't doing it for the sake of putting something out. She did it for the family and then realized there is a valuable message to bring out to the world. So huge thanks to Senena for that. Check her out. Follow everything that she does. Um, WholeShiftWellness.com is a great place to start, and I will link to everything in the show notes, as I always do. And I would just ask, if you're following her, if you're enjoying this, do the same back to help grow this show for the purpose of spreading this message. So if you're liking what the show is about, what Do A Day is about, my work, the 5075100 solution, easiest place to do that is just go to brianfaltruck.com and you can get to everything. You can share it out. You can follow me, tell others about it. Do go and rate and review the show. And I've mentioned this before. If you're part of a book club, awesome chance to get copies of Do A Day, the 5075100, or both of them at a 10% discount. Plus, I'll do this one-on-one, or not one-on-one, this group session via video for you and your book club members to talk through the ideas in the book, what you guys thought about it, questions you have, things you want to dig deeper into. Just go to brianfeltruck.com slash book club for more on that. All of this is not around selling books. It's around introspection and change. And the same thing with what Serena is doing. It's about getting people to think about their situation, to talk about it, and to grow from that. And, you know, for me, I know for Serena as well, this is why we do what we do. So I thank you for joining me for the show, for listening to Serena's story, and help others do the same thing that you're doing for yourself, but for them. All right. With that, I will go and I will leave you. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest, another amazing episode. I can't wait to share it with you. All right, everyone, go out and do it.